We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's my co-host, David Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? Roth, you are in sunny California. You're going to go out yeah. to L.A.? You're going uh, to move the family to Beverly? Yeah, we're going. I'm looking at houses in Brentwood. It's been a great year for a defector, and I wanted to move in near somebody who knows... Not like an actual Kardashian, but someone who went to high school with them and is like, oh, they're actually very nice. That's like who I want to be my new neighbor. I walked around Brentwood with Al Michaels and asked him OJ questions. Like the dream of everyone who's 40 years old and had to watch every second of that trial in the 1990s. Very. So I'm, in, I'm in Westwood, California right now, which is where I'm actually on the UCLA campus. My wife is here for work reasons, and I'm here because I can do my stupid job from anywhere that has internet. So I... Uh, I'm enjoying the opportunity to not be in New York City. Um, I haven't been in Westwood, I don't think, properly since I lived here the summer before my senior year of college. But it has that sort of college town thing where, like, oddly, 80% of it is exactly the same. Some of it is, you know, now there's, like, fancy sushi stuff, but... Like, I'd imagine that the same issues that afflicted the fat burger back in 1999 still seem to be there. The fat burger certainly is. Two in the morning got the fat burger. What were you doing living in Westwood before your, you said your senior year of college? Yeah, I was working at a production company in Hollywood, reading Ooh. scripts, doing script coverage, getting ready for the film career that has uh, carried me to international superstardom <laughs> to this very day. Have you, um, since you're in Westwood now, did you say hi to John Wooden uh, lately? Like, whatever happened to that guy? We got to bring him back? We're going to remember him later in the show. I, oh, okay. I, there's a part of me that wants to, like, see, you know, Tiger Campbell or, you know, one of the, like, longstanding. UCLA always has a bunch of, like, seventh-year senior guys that I sort of know what they look like better than, like, actual cousins that I have that live on this coast. And I feel like that would be exciting for me. But um, I don't know. I'll probably wander around a little bit. The thing that I'm, I guess is kind of a drag is that it's like five degrees warmer here than it is in New York. But it's sunnier. Uh, people are better looking. Sushi's of a higher quality. I can't really complain yet. I was warned by a friend when I went out with him to L.A. He was like, he's like, the sushi here, it's a little bit mayo forward for your taste. And I was like, oh, I can, I suppose I can deal. And I, I had good sushi. I did all right. All right. But hey, we look. Should- we're fucking around too much. We got to introduce our guest. It's Patrick Redford of Defector. That's the site we work for, Roth. How you doing, Patrick? Yeah. Good. As I was following along, trying to figure out where I could enter the Rift Zone, um, the first thought that came to my head was Johnny Juzang plays for the Utah Jazz's G League affiliate now. Nice. Where is that? Like, that's not the Rio Grande Valley Vipers. That's San Antonio. I'm just imagining like like some even more degraded version of the name Utah Jazz, like the Ogden Bop or something. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to know what the answer really is. I uh, I gotta tell you, Patrick, um, because because of my age, I'm still not used to watching the NBA draft now and having half the picks come out of like G League Extreme. I'm like, where? They're where? Like, is this like Eric Swan coming out of the Bay State Titans for the Cardinals? Like, it's well, actually, I, I was much better than that. the The G League Ignite roster is like if you were to take the part of my brain that is diseased and then the part of Patrick's brain that is diseased and smash them together to form one brain, that roster would be that. Cause it's like half like true Hooper teenagers that didn't want to go to college. And then the other half of it is guys that were like second team, all sec in 2014. Yeah. Like of, of the, the first four of the first like five picks this year going to be guys who didn't go to college, like a dude from France, G league ignite. And then, Something called Overtime Elite, which we don't need to get into on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like that sounds like esports. That doesn't even sound like <laughs> it really basketball. does, yeah. Uh Patrick, you are here because we're in the fallow period between the conference title games and the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl uh like hopscotch week. So it means that we don't have to talk about football this week, which is good because the title games were really, really shitty. So Patrick, we had you on to talk about other sports, which apparently do exist. And one of them, which you have covered, is maybe the most exciting sport to come along in many, many years. It's slap fighting. Talk to us about slap fighting and TBS's power slap. Road to the title, Patrick. Uh, can you explain what slap fighting is he to us? He just did by sighing like that. But yeah. yeah. So go, <laughs> did. You want to use true. some words? <laughs> so slap fighting is the brainchild of um, Dana White. Uh, Great the- guy. The guy who has the biggest, I'm I'm talking physically, not sort of 
mentally here, the biggest head in the uh, Western Hemisphere. Um, and the premise is basically like, what if you took MMA and then took all the good parts out of it and then ratcheted all the bad parts up? Um, and it's just two guys standing across from each other, slapping the shit out of each other. Um, it's completely irredeemable. There's no sporting value. Uh, he says he was inspired by these like viral Twitter videos of guys out of like Russia and Poland doing slap fighting. Um, and if he had uh, continued watching those videos, he would see that uh, one of the participants died last yeah. year. That's definitely I will say that that's something I actually believe that Dana White was like, because I don't know what his life is like, you know, to have a billion dollars and not be able to read and just like live <laughs> in a series of like just basically like a Dubai of the mind at all times. Of course, he's watching videos from like the Polish slap fighting elite championship and watching a guy do the fencer's response and being like, that is so sick, dude. I got I got to send this to Eric Trump. <laughs> Patrick, is it possible that this league could be better if the participants had to do a shot of potato vodka in between rounds of slapping, like, is that what they do in Poland? <laughs> Good question. The thing, the, the main difference between the U S one and the Poland one is that the guys over there in Poland are like twice as large and appear to be way better at slapping, which actually makes the fighting worse. I mean, there's basically no way it can be redeemed because like, if, if you want to like Dana White's whole thing is that it's an actual sport and it's in this like nominally competitive framework, except the guy who gets to slap the other guy first wins like every time because yeah, right. you're always one slap up on your opponent. And you like, can't yeah. defend yourself. There's no, this is the part of it that, and whatever, you wrote a great post on it. Uh, the headline is a little bit of a giveaway because I believe it's Dana White's slap fighting championship is an abomination. So you kind of know what you're, you're in for there. But It's it awfully been, subtle. You know. would have been hard to write it any other way. But it is the sort of thing where it seems like the show is like half of it has that kind of like the ultimate fighter, like quasi reality show element. So it's like some guy being like, there's no way I'm going to let him slap me. And then like and then the next thing you see is that guy getting slapped to hell and like dying briefly. That's not great TV. That's like it's like the uh, it's like the Stefan Heck, like lunchbox wanters tweet about, uh, you know, like a show that would be on on Bravo where it's like, there's no way I was letting Kyle get that lunchbox. Well, it's a thought, Patrick, that uh, that if you allow slapping without defense, that is somehow safer than a, a straight punch to the jaw. It's I, I yeah, that, that's basically the theory, although um, uh, it's not true. Um, right. Yeah. And <laughs> break someone's this, fucking jaw doing that. Yeah. Chris Nowinski, the um, really famous neurologist, like concussion guy, he was pointing out that it's actually more dangerous to get slapped because it's about equal force, and if you do it right. You're like the sideways force can like break a lot of these weird like blood vessels in your neck and chin, um, mm. and you need those. Like I'm not a doctor, but like that's my understanding no. of the science. Um, how did you feel personally when you were watching the sport? Did you watch the entire hour uh, for the post you wrote? And if you did, did you see any potential in it if actual gamesmanship and defense were added? Uh, no. Um, oh, I guess <laughs> if if, it, if you could allow wrestling. And take out the slapping and then um, adopted the unified rules of MMA and the guys were good at fighting and Dana White was not on the screen at all, then it would be about as good as like a normal UFC fight night card, which is still bad, but at least like it's sports yeah. in a way that like, like, and when you, when you turn on the first episode within the first two minutes, these two guys named Chris, like, are like, they're standing across each other and they're talking to the camera. They're like, I they're can't both, wait to slap wait, they're Chris. They're both named slap Chris? The shit. Oh, yeah. Pratt and Evans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Samer, Samer very thankfully um, was like, you can't say the word Chris 10 times in the first paragraph that people are going to get distracted. <laughs> Just another classic. He's a good editor. Um, and then like both Chris's are like, I'm going to destroy Chris. And then the first Chris slaps the other Chris and like he immediately hits the fencing response and like doesn't know where he is. And it's like shocking and that's like the first thing you see for the show like that's the pitch is basically that's like, like the pre-credit sequence like to, yeah. to like set the hook yeah it's like if you enjoyed watching chris give chris brain trauma <laughs> then you're gonna love later in the show there's a, a jared on jared showdown that i think is gonna really change your whole perspective well all kidding aside the reason i'm asking you this patrick is because ufc started out um you know with, with everyone saying oh it's abominable uh, you know, it, it's human cockfighting and all that stuff. And Dana White, and I, I don't think it was just Dana, uh, but it was, it was other people at UFC, made that sport more palatable by, like, banning eye gouging 
and and breaking up sort of tedious holds and sort of sanding down a lot of the rougher edges around the sport. Is it possible that White aims to do that with slap fighting after the initial response he gets and presumably pretty low ratings that it's going to get on TBS? I think that's a pretty like I think that's actually a very good question because those are essentially the terms he's trying to frame it within. And like a lot of UFC guys have pointed out, that's like sort of retroactively insulting to them because like <laughs> MMA yeah. is like extremely hard. Like I I find myself at times some like occasionally as repulsed by MMA as I was by slap fighting. But the difference is like you can defend yourself. It's like an actually competitive sport and the technical level is so high that it's redeeming. I right, don't really yeah. see a path forward for slapping. Um, right. Like how does it, how could it get better? Yeah. Like I don't even think Dana White believes his own PR talk about how this is an actual competitive sport because it's coming out like as part of this big Warner Bros. Discovery reorg. Like there's this old 30 Rock joke about um, a reality show called MILF Island and TLC legitimately has MILF Manor coming out like at the same time as Dana White's power slap. And so this is all just part of this like, you know, gummy race to the bottom to get the cheapest worst shit on TV uh, and you don't have to pay any of the labor. I think fighters get 2K to appear. Yeah, that part was uh, like breathtaking to me too because it's like, brain trauma guaranteed and they're basically like this is the amount of money that you would get for an appearance at a mall in fresno are you in get the fuck out of here well, surely ufc takes care of uh or dana white takes care of all their health bills after the fact if they get injured or harmed in any way mm. right right it's got yeah be. and they famously have health insurance um yeah some of the most famous health insurance havers that we've got are uh yeah mma guys there's a good anecdote on that which is that um a lot of times fighters will lie uh, like they'll sort of conceal injuries until after a fight and then they can say oh this like torn labrum i picked it up in the fight because ufc healthcare only covers injuries that you get in a specific fight so a lot of times obviously injured guys will just try to limp into this fight and get their ass kicked so they can get healthcare. oh it that's rolls. pretty smart the levels of contemporary american dystopia are like fucking off the charts right now the just way in the red i think it's actually i, I think it's inspiring Roth. I think yeah. I like the I like the uh the resourcefulness of these fighters to go in with a broken leg, right? <laughs> and then and then get their asses kicked and then be like, oh my God, he broke my leg. And now now you guys gotta pay for it. That is just that's savvy on a level that I think like uh an Andrew Carnegie would be very that's a, very, yeah, that's that's by. pure grind set. The thing that's funny about this too, relative I hadn't thought about it in terms of the context of the Warner Brothers Discovery sort of uh mishmash, but what's sort of again sort of uniquely grim about this is that because that is like coinciding with all of these you know they're not shows i care about but the way they like made an entire season of snowpiercer for and then they were just like no it's actually better for us if we don't release it like tax wise that the warner brothers discovery thing because that is has this impact on hbo max it's like for this to exist like an entire season of the sopranos must disappear that it is like there's only so much room in the club. And so that like every shitty bit of new like house renovation content that they come up with or like, um, you know, like a show where a guy just eats a light bulb and then is hospitalized, which is I think Dana White's next big project, <laughs> that any of that is like that is replacing one to one something that people sort of made trying to make popular art, which just feels great. Yeah, the Property Brothers Imperium cannot be resisted. no. No, it's like uh, we're coming to March, and that's when I reminded that uh, Impractical Jokers is on like 20 hours a day on TBS. Yeah, like that's season 25. What's funny is all those guys, I didn't know this. I learned this um, from Patrick Sauer, friend of the of the pod, that all the Impractical Jokers guys were at Georgetown with like John Mulaney and um, Mike Birbiglia. Like they're like buddies, but that's like sort of another, there's like this Georgetown comedy mafia that is like the elite like monologist and like uh you know comedians of their era and then there's also the guys that were there just sort of like well i'm gonna go to the gas station but i'm not gonna have any pants on and that's the show <laughs> which i think is great uh i want to go back to dana white uh one more question before we talk about basketball uh patrick and this question kind of you we already know the answer but i, I do want to talk about it, which is that white himself was caught on video slapping his wife and yet there's been no consequences for him of any sort and probably not going to be. Now, normally, video gets you some consequences. We saw it happen with Ray Rice, saw it happen with other people, but there have been none for White, even though it was something everyone saw. Why? 
why has that why has he suffered nothing after what he did patrick there are there are two i think two really strong reasons here one is that the story was broken by tmz who's like essentially in bed with white and the ufc's parent company endeavor like they will run any bullshit pr thing to boost him to boost the ufc and so they got the video and they presented it in the most like exculpatory possible light um they didn't publish it till they got like really long statements from both him and his wife they like really played it up as like this is what happens when you're drinking they basically tried to like remove white's agency as much as possible um and it was presented not as like dana white slaps wife it was like dana white comma wife apologize for like new year's eve slapping incident yep um Oh, right. That one thing where it's like, instead of instead of framing the headline as breaking news, it's like you you follow up on a story that you just presume everyone already knows about. Like, yeah, it's almost, it's almost like the take. Yeah, here's the, oh, well, here's the fallout from something that happened that you didn't even know fucking happened, Redford. Writing the cheesy day two damage control story on day one. That is right. classic TMZ behavior for some people. And then there's other people where they will naturally assume the most salacious and humiliating possible possibility based on whatever they get sent. Patrick, like, what was there, the other reason? Well, uh, there's also that first take segment where Stephen A and Molly are just like, I love Dana White. He's a friend. This whole cancel culture. It was like, like they didn't even talk about what was actually happening. They yeah. just yeah. gone way past the incident. That and was think, incredible too, because it was like, that's supposed to be a show where people are debating. And it was just like Stephen A Smith being like, now everybody knows that I go on vacation with Dana White just the two of us and we just sit and we just talk and then Molly <laughs> instead of like there's no counterpoint she's like exactly I also go on the same long vacations with him myself <laughs> which is like beyond being irresponsible it's the opposite of good TV yeah and and like TMZ ESPN is in the Dana White business um, yes. and like when when you asked Endeavor for like a comment on Dana White they would just redirect you to the TMZ story which gets to the second point is like Dana White wasn't punished because the person who would be in charge of punishing him is Dana White. Right. Um, and he gave this this pre- bizarre press conference where he was just like, what do you want me to do? Take one month without pay? That's not going to fix anything. We all know that's fake. So I'm just going to be here. And you guys have to know me as the wife slapping guy. Um, yeah, that yeah, was the, the first excuse where he was like, look, I got to be this guy the rest of my fucking life. Are you serious? Look at my head. I look like a turtle. Yeah, he always pulls that thing where it's like, well, if you don't like it, I guess you're just a fucking pussy. Like, that's just base. That's his response to any, like, bad news. Like, exactly. well, some people can take it and some people can't. That's why I'm going to slap her again. Yeah. Like, that's just Watching like, him try to do contrition is also kind of a funny thing because it's not an emotion that he can feel. But it's the no. sort of thing. It's, it's like watching fucking Vince Wilfork try to ride a unicycle or something. Like, you almost respect Ooh. the effort because you're so clearly not built for it. And yet it's just like, I don't know. Like some people feel bad when they do bad things, but maybe, maybe it's different for others. I could, th- I could, I could picture Vince Wilfork being athletic enough to actually ride a unicycle. Oh yeah. Succeed. It's a pleasant mental image. It kind of reminds me of when the Ryan boys rode that tandem bike together. <laughs> Ooh, that's a treasured memory. I can't have the mental image of uh, Dana White standing there like a, like his own fucking action figure in my brain for a second longer. So we have to talk about other sports, specifically the NBA. So, there was a lot, strangely, for this time of year, there was a lot of NBA shit going on. So I'll talk to you about it, uh, Patrick. Uh, the NBA referees uh, had to apologize. I mean, it was kind of an apology on Twitter this week when they missed a blatant foul on LeBron James by Jason Tatum at the end of regulation in Celtics Lakers. So I want to read their tweet just so we can have fun with it. And then we, we can talk about the Lakers acting like this was like the greatest perversion of justice in the history of fucking mankind for a regular season NBA game in the middle of the season. So here was their, here was the tweet from the referees. Uh, It said like everyone else, referees make mistakes. We made one at the end of last night's game and that is gut wrenching for us. This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be. Patrick was that, necessary that language just unimaginable loser shit because that's <laughs> not ever gonna get like no one is ever going to like take you more seriously or like respect the you know human fallibility of referees and their decision making they will have just learned that like you can you can push these people and if you're mad enough you can get them to apologize um because like that doesn't change the outcome lakers fans are probably even more pissed now 
knowing that they fucked that up. Um, although I will say, uh, Ben Rohrbach, this NBA reporter, did an analysis of all the last two minute reports and showed that uh, there have been 34 incorrect no calls or calls in the last two minutes of Lakers games and 21 have gone in favor of the Lakers. Yeah. And so like they're complaining about these four wins that have gone the other way that maybe would have switched if these calls went a different way. But like they just suck regular style. Like that's why they're bad. Yeah, I think that's the part of it that is, you know, and again, I'm saying this from Los Angeles and it feels especially good to be doing it here. The idea, the level of damage you have to do to your brain as a fan to get to the point where you're just sort of like, and this is another example of the referees conspiring against LeBron James and the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, <laughs> what got you there? Like, what, how bad a motorcycle accident were you in that you are now convinced that of all the teams to conspire against. Right, yeah, history clearly shows us that the NBA wants the New Orleans Pelicans to succeed. Right, the New Orleans right. Pelicans to succeed, not the Los Angeles Lakers. That small-time operation, forget Can I add one about note it. on that Lakers thing, though? Because every bit of it, as Patrick said, is loser shit. The Lakers whining, their fans whining, the referees being like... This is a difficult day for us. A dark day for everyone who's ever yeah! been on strikes. Yeah, they acted like it was fucking 9-11. Like, but holy shit. I think that Patrick Beverly getting a digital camera from a, a sideline reporter and walking it over to a ref and calmly showing him the still photo of LeBron getting fouled, that actually rules. It's the only that thing about incredible. this that is good. It's Patrick Beverly has been innovating in the dickhead space for many, many years, and I didn't know <laughs> that he had this in him. It's just remarkable stuff. Like, the Lakers had to go play overtime after LeBron was just, like, supine on the floor for 57 seconds, and they started down one zip because Beverly could not help but, like, go grab a guy's camera. That's so cool. I love him. I hope he gets traded to the Utah Jazz after, like, being the most publicly, like, world hates us, Lakers against the world, and then he has to get exiled somewhere. I just That's the stage I, of I his that career that he's in, and I don't think anyone else could pull it off because he gets to be... The annoying heart and soul and ninth leading scorer on two different teams every year. And he's still like kind of good at it. Like it's good. There's three more years of that. Like he'll play for every team and he'll be like, Nick's up, Nick's gang. I have been traded to the Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> that is just going to happen several more times for him. Yeah, he's like that. Um, uh, You hate him if he's not on your team. You love him if he's on your team guy, except you also hate him if he's on your team. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, That's the best of all worlds. Putting aside... The theatrics of it all, and it's pretty much entirely theatrics. Have you noticed, either anecdotally or uh, you know, analytically, Patrick, a decrease league-wide in officiating quality, or is it just the same awful shit as every year? I figure it's just the same as it's ever been. Um, I defer to Ray Ratto here because he is a sicko who knows every single referee's name and how good he they are. does. And, and his take is that they've gotten a little worse because the refs are sort of like not trained to be people anymore. They're not like talking with the players. They don't really feel the need to like justify or explain themselves. There's sort of a more like kind of, it's hard to make this case given that tweet about how um, they're going to lose sleep over that missed call, but there's like kind of a more adversarial, really at least like cold professional relationship between players and refs. Um, I think the game is probably harder to officiate than ever before, just because, you know, we're 20, 25 years past, Flop, like the art of flopping really being perfected um, in the Divakian Genobilian school. And there's sort of this whole class of guys whose games are not like based around, but are in large part dependent on drawing fouls. Like if you ever watch Trey Young at the end of a close game, it's hard It's hard not to sympathize with the referees. Like yeah. everything he does is just trying to get to the line. It's not really basketball. And um, this is sort of not that related, but I like that uh, he was 12th among Eastern guards in players voting because even his peers don't respect that shit. Yeah. 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 I, I don't respect him. And what I believe counts the most. And it's you made weird it sound to think that like the, you know, whatever, like Joey Crawford days were like actually better than this because like so much of what I remember about like the. I mean, the referees whose names I knew as like a non-Ray Ratto grade, you know, sicko, but the guys that would be like officiating in the finals, they all just look like, you know, like mean supporting characters from The Wire, like guys where they're like, your comp stat is lacking. And then, you know, Dominic West is like, quip here, you know, like that sort of, but they're bosses. They look like administrative cops. And all the new people are just like this, like fit, diverse crew of androids who seem not to have that sort of relationship where like, 
sometimes it would go too far and these guys would have like, you know, a vendetta against Tim Duncan or something. And you just have to like work that into your calculus of how a game is going to work out. But in this case, the idea of it just being, you know, robo umped by people seems uh, like, again, you can see how it's been disrupted by the most annoying guys. Like, that seems like a thing to fix. I don't know how you would do that, though. The idea of being like, try being more normal doesn't, it's not like a tip the league can give someone. Patrick, you may seem as if, you know, the approach now that referees have is that of like an airline gate agent where like they're already steeled for hostility from the customers. So like they have to be like defensive right away, like as if like, please, please don't fuck with me because people try to fuck with me all day long. So don't fuck with me because I'm tired of being fucked with. Like that's, that's a great phrase what you're yeah. saying. All right. Yeah, like Anthony Davis is out here being like referees should be fined for missing pivotal calls and like. The job of players is to deceive the referees and get away with shit. And like, that's part of the game. And, you know, you can't like, that's just a slippery slope. You you can't operate with any sort of level of gamesmanship, but then also like expect to get away with it and, and then have consequences for the other people fucking it up. Like, I think by and large, like officiating is pretty good, but just when you get in these little one possession games or like say the end of a championship game and a guy is running out of bounds, like it's just hard to make these calls. Like, I don't know. I think, I think the trick here is to have your team lose a championship 20 years ago because of this. And then you become normal about it. So um, <laughs> just maybe that'll happen to you and you'll become regular. Like yeah, me. you've been applying coats of Mike Bibby uh, scented shellac to your brain for two decades now. <laughs> and like, look at you now. Well, let's uh, let's take a break and come back and we'll talk to uh, Patrick Redford a little bit more about the NBA and then we'll do the fun bag and all that stuff. This podcast is sponsored by Undershare, the first underwear sharing app. Get under Undershare. We'll be right back. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things, but sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Well, therapy can be a really helpful tool for figuring out how to show up for yourself so you can then show up for others. So if you're curious about trying therapy, but you're overwhelmed by how to start, try BetterHelp. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. You can talk to your therapist via chat, phone, or video call. And getting started cannot be easier. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you don't click with your therapist for whatever reason, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So if you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. This episode is also sponsored by Shaker and Spoon, a subscription cocktail service that helps you learn how to make world-class cocktails right at home. Every box comes with enough ingredients to make three unique cocktail recipes developed by award-winning mixologists. All you need to do is buy one bottle of that month's spirit, and you have all you need to make 12 drinks at home. This is a cost-effective way to enjoy craft cocktails and level up your home bartending skills. If you've ever wondered how mixologists manage to create such incredible drinks as I myself have wondered, this is worth trying out. Order just one box or treat yourself to a monthly subscription. You can get $20 off your first box at shakerandspoon.com slash distraction. That's $20 off at shakerandspoon.com slash distraction. And finally, this podcast is sponsored by Bearback Sports, the only place for raw sports betting action. Has it been a dry new area for you? Well, get February off right before Valentine's Day and try our new rhythm betting system. Only bet on certain days every month and get more action. Baby action, baby. Use the promo code RAWDOGGIN, that's R-A-2-W's D-O-2-G's-I-N, to get a free Drew McGarry parlay bet. Free with a $169 deposit for first-time bettors. Bareback Sportsbook. Bet like nothing's there. Must be 21 and over. Credit to Defector commenter, Cosi Lesport, for credit credit. Oh, we're back with Patrick Redford of Defector.com, little-known website that uh, that Roth and I have written for from time to time. So we're talking about the NBA, and we were talking about um, the Lakers complaining about the refs, which I find far, far more palatable than the Celtics complaining about the refs. But 
regardless, while we're on the subject of the Lakers, let's talk about LeBron James because, Patrick, you wrote about how LeBron, despite the Lakers being pretty middling this year, like 13th, I believe, in the Western Conference, he's playing out of his fucking mind right now. And we're talking about, what, what his 20th season in the league? Is the world appreciating LeBron's current uh, quality of play enough? Or are we so used to LeBron being LeBron that it doesn't almost doesn't register? I think it's I think it's hard because he's been so good and um so much of that greatness has just resulted in Russell Westbrook going 0 for 3 in the last 2 minutes of a game and them losing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's it's hard to argue so much for his greatness when his team sucks so bad. And it's not his fault, but like that's just kind of what's happening. Although he is going to break the scoring record like next week or something. Um and so there'll yeah, be some good Yeah, yeah, any there. any mark Always helps in that regard. Like the NFL loves to milk that shit on money. Like, let's pause because that's Tom Brady's 375th touchdown pass. Woohoo! He's he's passed uh, uh, Steve Bono for the (laughs) most touchdown passes thrown in the fourth quarter of a game uh, that his team was losing by more than three scores. The the thing with LeBron that's interesting to me about this is that like because he is having, I think, in his way, one of the more amazing seasons of his career because he's 38. He's not underrated. Like, you can't say that. And anyway, this isn't a podcast about whether people are underrated or overrated or properly rated. There's other podcasts for that. There's also, though, because the Lakers are so not just mediocre, but so dispiriting to watch, like just such a miserable television experience. I think that underappreciated isn't the term. Underdiscussed might apply in the sense that because they don't sort of matter, he's just kind of having this season like they're on TV a lot. But the games don't really count for very much. And so every now and then he will throw up a thing where it's like, you know, 40 points and 12 assists or something like that. And it's just it's easy because the game is unimportant and they lost to the Grizzlies in it by 13 or whatever. That is a fucking 38 year old man doing that. Like he's not at that stage in his career where, you know, like the way that Vince Carter had this whole. Uh, to me, very enjoyable second act as like a rotation player, you know, and he learned to sort of like got better at three point shooting. He was able to help and like sort of get in where he fit in. Like LeBron is not declining. Like he has to me shown zero signs of decline. And this should be the part of the career. Like if this part of a player's career even exists, which on balance, it doesn't. This is the sort of like retiring with dignity phase. And I feel like there's a chance like he'll make all star teams because people are going to vote for him. But he's still one of the very best players in the league at an age where, like, you should be able to see some gray hairs in that at this point, and there just are not. Well, you'd have to have hair for that. Yes, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It's amazing to see all these guys who came into the league, like, five, ten years after him start to decline. Like, like Paul George's body ain't what it used to be, and he was, what, like, the 0-10 draft or something? Yeah. Um, Some of these guys are head coaches now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, they fucking own teams. I wonder... Patrick, and this is a thought, and you can dismiss it, but I wonder if a lot of discussions like uh, the greatness of an individual like LeBron are only become widespread if they are couched within greater arguments about who's this year's MVP or who's the greatest of all time. And those are sort of the only rubrics where people can argue about basketball but that might be me being a casual Redford. Is there any uh, traction to that at all? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think just because LeBron has been around for so long and has won so many titles and is like sort of like the the Jordan goat comparisons have been since the 2016 title have been like the main axis by which he's talked about. Um, yes. And also because his team sucks, like it sort of makes sense. Those are like the things that, you know, he's being talked about around. Um, although like... Another another sort of meta story this year has been, like I said, the, the decline of like this older generation and guys like, you know, Zion, Luca and Ja coming in and taking the league by storm. And I think it's like all the more remarkable just thinking about like how many generations of stars LeBron has like been at the top of. Yeah. Um, and so like just because he's been around so long, it's sort of impossible not to like I think it's actually a more interesting conversation to have this like, you know, legacy kind of talk rather than like do the lakers have what it takes to pass the thunder for 11th in the west yeah, yeah. Right. that's i think any i mean obviously this is the highest praise i can give it is disrespectful to lebron james but one of the things that i loved about the end of like a bartolo cologne grade career where it span, spans decades 
is that you can go back and look at it at the end and be like, wow, uh, Lloyd Mosby was 0 for 5 against him. And, you know, so was Jazz Chisholm or something. You know, it's like you can see the whole sweep of a career in this. And certainly the idea of LeBron being like, yeah, he was on two all-star teams with Danny Granger. Like, (laughs) that's fucking crazy. Like, no one has thought about Danny Granger in 10 years. And that, you know, is sort of underselling it to a certain extent. Like, the actual... I guess the argument that I've seen in this case, because people cannot admit that Michael Jordan is anything but the greatest of all time. And I think that, you know, there's a case for it. But the argument that I've seen people making that I think kind of sits comfortably in this generally very annoying debate is that if Jordan was the best ever, that LeBron has had the best career. And I think that that fits for me, that he's had, I mean, beyond like winning the championships and all of that other stuff. Like, he presided over a massive change in how the NBA works. He catalyzed it in terms of, you know, going to Miami and all of that. And as annoying as that might have seemed at the time, I think the league is different for his impact in there. And then, of course, he's going to finish atop all of, you know, these all-time leaderboards and all that shit. And that's impressive, too. But I think that it's the most influential, not just in the sense that, like, the Michael Jordan brain spore wound up in Kobe Bryant's brain and then wound up in, you know, Jason Tatum's brain. That's all sort of there. Nobody could really emulate LeBron's career. He's the only person that could have had it. And I think that's going to be an achievement that like we probably will have an easier time appreciating when he's gone, whenever that happens. Yeah, 20 20 fucking years. Right. Like think about what the NBA was like in the, um, in 2003, like I, I was looking at the box score from his first game, four players total attempted a three pointer. Like LeBron was basically playing like shooting guard on that team. And then, you know, when when sort of small ball started to become more of a thing, he bulked up and became this like world destroying four for the Heat and then slimmed down and became a point guard again for the Lakers as the game changed again. So like He's he's been in like the biggest of the big man era and then now like the total opposite like pace and space side of the spectrum and he's been excellent doing different distinct things throughout these eras and sort of helping usher them in and so like I think the more granular level of understanding you have of the game the more you can appreciate his greatness just because it's been so multifaceted. Is the better comp here Magic Johnson? No, sorry. I, I, had to put that I just wish there. the NBA's officiating core could appreciate it as much as we do. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking refs. Patrick, you wrote a post for us at Defector asking why so many NBA players are now putting up 40 plus point games this season, which they are. There's hard evidence of that. Did you find an answer to that? There was sort of, um, there's, there's like a statistical explanation, then sort of a, a gameplay one. The okay. statistical one is that um, basically the best players are having higher and higher usage percentages this season because teams have just realized that like if you have Luka Doncic, why not just have him run a hundred pick and rolls and see what happens? Like, you know, guys are are you know their their bodies are in better shape than ever. The nutrition's right, so they can sort of handle that level of workload. And if you look at the stats, that's kind of what's happening. And also like the the level of parity this year has been pretty incredible. Like pretty much every team seems to be like 25 and 23 or whatever. And so there's way more closer games. And so then better players have to take more shots in higher leverage situations. I think the gameplay explanation is like a little more compelling, which is that um, basically shooting has gotten so good and also has been so good for so long that like pretty much every team plays four or five out spread, which doesn't necessarily like a lot of 50 point games or 40 point games have just been like Clay Thompson makes 11 threes and that happens. But more than that, it's like, it's really hard to give help defense when the consequence of helping is immediately like two swing passes and a wide open three. And so like you look at like Giannis having all these 40 and 50 point games, it's because it's actually better to force him into like maybe a tough seven footer than having Drew Holiday take, you know, 20 wide open threes. Cause he's going to hit 10 of those. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of de- – it's just harder to play defense basically than ever. Like, a lot of the rule changes, uh, a lot of the new take foul transition stuff is like you – know, like, someone like Giannis gets all of his points in transition. So, those are sort of, I think, the best explanations. If I hate defense, is that good for me as a viewer? Definitely, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I think right. it, the part of it, especially that you might enjoy, is uh, – the futility, like what Pat, I think that's a really good description by Patrick of like why and how this is so hard at this point. The 
I wouldn't say that I exactly feel bad for NBA defenders at this point. You know, they still get to play basketball in the NBA. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I never uh, felt bad for them. That job has never looked more futile than it does now. I mean, not just in terms of the fact that, like, every player can sort of do everything at this point. Like, the thing with, like, a four or five out thing is that somebody is guarding a 6'11 guy who's going to hit threes. Like, that sucks. But also <laughs> the element of it of all of the things that were invented over the course of basketball history to make defense easier right now are not working yet. Uh, they haven't, like, found a solution for this sort of, like, an offense that functions across that sort of spread and across that much of that half of the floor. And so everybody, like, even if you're doing your best and, you know, like, at a very high NBA level, you're get, basically getting your ass handed to you nonstop just b due to inherent things in the game. So, uh, yeah, there's a slapstick element there that you might enjoy. Yeah, and as someone who has gained a harrowing appreciation for Kevin Herter's help defense. Really, ah! the only way you can defend is like as a five-man unit, nailing every rotation, hedging, doubling, and like working as a unit at all times, which is like fundamentally impossible over an 82-game season. Yeah, like that's basically like getting really good at hanging by your fingertips off a suspension bridge. Like that's like good luck. <laughs> like obviously it's better to be good at it than to be bad at it, but that is that's no way to live. I'm glad that you just lit the damn beam on this podcast. Good for you sneaking that in. I was trying to keep King's talk to a minimum, but, you know, Drew, your wolves last night. Man. Are they bad? Nice King's win. No, Anthony Edwards is balling out of control right now. He Ooh. looks incredible. I'm excited um, now. Okay, you guys, I'm excited because this is right around the time of year where I'm like, okay, I guess I should start watching basketball. And then I put on, I'm like, Oh, I'm just not ready for another relationship yet. And then like and then like a few weeks go by and I'm like, yeah, no, no, I gotta watch some fucking basketball. And so now I'm excited to watch some basketball. Patrick, one last basketball question. Your favorite team is the Sacramento Kings, and you did note that they now light a giant purple beam uh out of the top of the arena. Uh, anytime they win a game this season. Is that beam also a memorial to the failed political aspirations of former Sacramento Mayor Kevin Johnson? Wow. wow. That was like a Dave McKenna level back to me. That it was great. Was, really. Thank you. You um, didn't think he was going to be able to hit that one, and he did. I, did. I think KJ showed up to a game, I forget how long ago it was, and the team basically hit him with like the pack watch RIP bozo. Um, <laughs> like didn't want anything to do with him, and he was so mad. It was so funny. <laughs> okay. he, hasn't, he hasn't shown his face in a while, I don't think. Did he, yeah, did he? Yeah, did he, did he? Did he take revenge on them by like trying to ask out like everyone's daughter at that's, the game? <laughs> that's a really impressive uh, heat check by Kevin Johnson, though. The idea of being like everybody in this city is feeling fucking great right now. Like people are really excited. I'm gonna go to the place where they're happiest and just walk around and see if any if anyone throws eggs at me. <laughs> I do luck, love. <laughs> I do love guys with that level of arrogance. And obliviousness where they just walk around like with a big shit eating grin on their face. Like, everybody loves me. I'm going to yeah. fucking bring the room down. Everybody's going to be so psyched to see me. <laughs> and then they're not. And they're just like, I'm still happy anyway. Right. What are you going to do about it, baby? Rolling up on someone being like, yeah, that's right. It's me. Representative George Santos. Uh, it's time for our guy of the week. Every week, we remember an athlete of yours, not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but just a guy who makes you think, I remember that guy. So our guy of the week, Patrick Redford, in honor of the AFC champion, uh, Kansas City Chiefs, it's Dwayne Bow. Remember that guy, Patrick Redford? Somewhere over the Dwayne Bow. Yeah, he was awesome. Yep. Uh, so he was awesome. I got. I have to like couch that a bit because there was like a good stretch of like, I'm going to say a decade where Dwayne Bow was essentially the Chiefs' only receiver. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but there was a year where... The Chiefs, Mark I think it was Bo either Richter a, erasure. I'm not well, going to stand for it. Right. It was either Andy Reid's first year. It was the year before we came where they had zero wide receivers catch a touchdown pass over the course of an entire season. And I think that was right. If, if Dwayne Bowe wasn't part of that little party, like he was sort of the guy who set the table for that. So yeah, someone that I remember mostly as a fantasy football ownable player, uh, Dwayne Bowe was always, like, Weird seasons, you know, 1,100 receiving yards and two touchdowns, and you're kind of like, yeah. that's not actually good. Like, that's not really that useful. Yeah. Who was he throwing was, to him? Like, was this the Tyler Thigpen era? Yeah, he was He was writing that fucking... He overlapped with Tyler Thigpen. I think he was there for, like, maybe early Alex Smith, but it wasn't a high-powered offense. Yeah. Oh, that's stinky. I don't like these names. Yep. Some Matt Blunden. Oh, there are some guys. One thing I liked about... 
uh, yeah, Damon Heward, uh, winners, winners who won. I, what I remember about Dwayne Bowe's career most fondly, the last time I think I heard anybody talk about him before this was during the, uh, after Julian Edelman retired, there were discussions about like, you know, because of how clutch he was in the biggest moments, is he a Hall of Famer? And people were yeah. like, his career stats are objectively far worse than Dwayne Bowe's. No. And that yes. actually does seem to have ended the conversation. Where he's like, oh, well, Dwayne Bowe was pretty good, I guess. But all right, like, I'll just, I'm going to go to lunch. I like him as a Mendoza line for the Hall of Fame. Like, if you yeah. were better than Dwayne Bowe, no, you're not fine. Yeah, like, fine. you don't, you get half a bar. That's what you get. Uh, Patrick Redford, it's time to open up the fun bag. These are real questions from Defector readers and Distraction listeners. This one's from John. John asks Patrick, what is the most ambitious name you would give a child? Obviously, you have experience in this realm. He's talking about me. But if you had your druthers, would you name your kid Saffron or Maximus? My top two choices for a girl and boy, respectively. I think John's being earnest when he says that. What would be the most ambitious name you would give a child, Patrick Redford? And it can't be the name of a Sacramento king at any point in history. You have to be a bit more creative than that. Hmm. Why are we taking that off the table? Yeah, I think something in the botanical realm, like eucalyptus redford would be good. Um, yeah. What about nochino redford? Oh, that would be good, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Some friends of mine have have three kids, one of whom is named Vigo, um, and I really, really? respect how Like the fucking they're... painting? Yeah. Or, Vigo like, yeah, the Carpathian? Like, the, the, like Aragorn, yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. And he rules. I love that guy, so. Yeah. Wait, Shout is it Vigo. 1G or is it 2? Is it like Vigo Mortensen or Vigo Double the Carpathian? Double G, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, that's different. That's better than Vigo, the master of evil. That's a different... uh, I do think naming your kid after Vigo Mortensen is tight. I support that. I think more people ought to do it. The names that always blow me away are... And it's like mostly I think of it as a professional athlete thing because that's the only strangers whose kids' names I ever hear. You know, it's like during a broadcast where they're like, and there's you see his young son, Invictus, and it's just a kid wearing like one of those little hats that babies have to wear all the time. So these really <laughs> grandiose names that you can give to somebody who is just crap in their pants 16 hours a day is like that part. Eventually, Invictus is going to like grow up and be a person and, you know, everybody's going to call him Vic and that'll be fine. But that that brief period where you've named your kid, you know, like Caesar Augustus and they're wearing like something that zips up the front and has fire trucks all over it. That is a a really a golden age for me. Did you see Tyler Hero just named his son Harlem? Oh, my God, dude. (laughs) That's actually kind of good. It's just it's it is a fine name. It is just also like if you had to like make a joke about Tyler Hero in a hurry, that's the joke you'd make. Like it yeah. is absolutely like right off the rack. Yeah, that's a good point. Like if like if Russell Westbrook did it, I would respect it more than if Tyler Hero did it. That's true. It is a pleasant sounding word, but yeah. I yeah. Uh, I would just tell you my own experience naming our, our children. Like I absolutely had like the fear of like SEO searches and like or like not li- or living down the name. Like I had the Nicolas Cage like Oswipe sketch in my head the entire yep. time. So I was like, just well, let's be normal. So it was like, it was pretty normal. It was pretty normal. I was like, oh, what about like, uh, like originally my my list had like, what about like Duke, the Duker? And I was like, <laughs> and my wife was like, no, I don't think so. Let's let's be a little bit more. One of my so, best friends growing up was named Michael Cohen. Wow. Really? Well, like how many Michael Cohens are there? I mean, there's like a lot. There's know? a lot. I ran cross country with one, uh, but his oh, brand nice. is trashed now. Can yeah. I one name that I want to single out that popped into my head? Um, and this is not I'm not a huge fan of either of their music. I'm sure they're both nice people. Ashley Simpson and Pete Wentz having a kid together and naming it naming him Bronx Mowgli Wentz. Oh, like, first right, after a like borough the- that they certainly have never been to. And then or if they were there, it was just like for a Yankee game and then a car took them away. And then Mowgli, M-O-W-G-L-I, just terrific. Well, Mowgli's from the Jungle Book, right? I know. That's what I mean. So they just basically, they picked two things effectively unrelated to each other um, that delighted them. And then they were like, you're going to go through the rest of your life with this, young fellow. B.M. Wentz, that's your name now. (laughs) Last one, Patrick, is from Philip. On average, how many players on NFL team do you think a head coach actually knows, like first and last name, and can pick them out of a crowd and has actually had a conversation with them. How many players on an NFL team do you think a head coach can essentially name Patrick Redford? I would assume all, right? I mean, it was 53-man roster, right? Yeah, let's assume it's not Urban Meyer. Let's assume it's an actual coach. Okay, yeah, I was going right. to say. 
Yeah, we're talking in the high single digits there. I mean, I guess you'd have to all the starters, obviously, probably all the second string. Um, the only way I could see it being less is like if you're like I, the head coach, and basically the offensive coordinator, and I don't fuck with the defense or vice versa. Right. Yeah. yeah. But like, I don't think they know who's like on the practice squad, right? that might be yeah the practice squad like i don't think the practice squad practices like i don't even know what the fuck the practice squad does because you can sign guys off a practice squad from another team anytime you please so like i don't know what the practice squad's purpose really is i think it's like a g a g league team that doesn't play i've always yeah. struck but this year there was a lot of that a lot of like veteran running backs playing for three teams where you just sort of like latavius murray's on a practice squad like i thought that was for like prospect stuff but it's just like you can sort of place a hold like using Resi on like Latavius Murray's services in case it's necessary. And that's like, you know, I guess a useful innovation. I do like the idea of the like because I feel like Urban Meyer, obviously, you wouldn't describe him as a master at this point. But the ultra delegator NFL coach where they're just sort of like, it's not my job to know these people's names like that's not important. I think of that as more of a college thing because those rosters are so much bigger I and was going like, to say, there's no way a college coach knows like half the players on the team. No. There's a hundred fucking guys on there. That they've have been in their homes once, maybe. <laughs> but in most of those cases, it's like, I don't expect Nick Saban to like know fun facts about everybody on his roster, but he's definitely like eaten dinner at their house one time and talked to their mom. Mrs. You know, Thomas, is, I'm going to make a man of your boy. Yeah, he will be good. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to forget who he is. Like, I'm yeah. already starting to forget who he is, but I really do hope that he will come uh, to this campus and, and join I, us. I have to tell you that... I, before we uh, close up shop, I have to tell you the story. I've, I've told the story before, but I've tell, told every story before where I was in college. I was playing football. I was on offensive line. One of my teammates fucked up a drill, got fucking chewed out because it's football. That's what happens. And walks away from the coach. He goes back to the huddle and he goes, oh, he was so nice on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great because it's happens like, like Nick Saban has to go into a recruit's house with their mom or their grandma, eat their cooking and like compliment it and be like, oh, this is just so delicious, ma'am. And I'm going to make a man of your boy. <laughs> and then they get on campus and he just fucking can't wait to light them up the second they fuck Incredible. Up. And then forget your name because he has like 14-year-old peewee rosters in Dallas to memorize. Right. Where was the man who complimented my mother's casserole? Why is he motherfucking me in front of all my friends? Uh, anyway, uh, it's time for the end of the show. Uh, Patrick... Redford is at Redford on Twitter. He is the defining Redford of in American history. So fuck off, That's Robert. Right. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you, fair listener, you can subscribe to Defector right now. Just go to, just go to Defector.com <laughs> and hit that subscribe button like the fucking champ you are. That's Do right. it now. And we will see you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. 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 See ya.